All right, let's roll for our hour this time. We're talking about biblical intimacy or a biblical view of sexuality. If you'll notice in your notes, uh, there's a couple of statements that I want to make just introductory uh, before we get to the uh, main set of notes here. And um, it says sex relates to one's biological sex also known as gender and marital sex that is relating to anything between a husband and wife that leads to intercourse. So when we use the word and we talk about biblical intimacy and biblical sex, and uh, this hour we're not going to be uh, doing a deep dive into gen- gender issues. right? That's really for advanced tracks because the majority of the counseling you're going to do and the majority of conversations you're going to have in life groups and Sunday school and all those various places, ABFs that you might be talking to people around coffee, you're not going to be discussing uh, the main issues of transgender and all of those various gender things. There's a lot being written about it by biblical counselors. There's a lot of information available to you. Uh, Certainly, I'm happy to point you that direction. Uh, But that's not what we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about. But in the first bullet point, just be aware that biological sex... Uh, is given to us, right? The world system is trying to divorce biological sex from gender, right? And there's no sense of that at all in the Bible. And in fact, I would say gender and biological sex are the same and and should be uh, congruent in all ways. Uh, Notice next point says, God created man, male, Adam, and woman, female, Eve, with biological differences, in addition to the biological differences, uh, in, addition, in addition to the biological differences, there are theological differences as well, and that is roles, responsibilities, and functions. Again, we're not exploring that this hour because our focus is going to be more on the level of intimacy uh, related to a husband and wife's intimacy. So man's nature created an environment which has led to much distortion and confusion. And there's no doubt, we see that as much as ever. Romans 1 is as much in play today as it ever has been. Right? So Romans 1, of course, uh, is just talking about the degradation of sin. And it ultimately uses, in that text, homosexuality as the example. And it's not the only example, of course, but it's certainly one of them. Uh, marital intimacy provides many interesting conversations and opportunities. And... In counseling, the three big issues, when people come in, they say we're having a marital issue. If you consider, I have a little triangle that I use to think through marriage counseling. The top three issues on the triangle are children, uh, money, and sex, right? So those are the three big things that most married couples uh, fight and fuss over when they're going to fight and fuss, and then all of the implications from that. And so when we're talking about marriage intimacy or marital intimacy, uh, it provides lots of opportunities, lots of doors and avenues to be able to discuss uh, this topic. To say the least, the world influences many believers' view of sexuality through education, media, and culture in general. Now, I have a blog. I'll have it at the very end. And and I've written often on this particular topic. The reason I did is because uh, Dr. Bob Smith wrote one of the best books on it that I've ever read, and he uh, is a good friend of mine. That book has gone out of print, and we're in the process of re- getting it republished or actually writing a new one. And uh, 
So I've written a lot of blogs because I do a lot of premarital and I needed somewhere to send people to. So we've been working through this for a while. And I would say uh, Fifty Shades of Grey dramatically shifted people coming to the blog and the questions they were asking on the blog. Right? When you go to a blog and you ask a question or you do a, re- do a Google search, it captures that. And so if you're a blog curator like myself, it collects all that information and tells you this is who's been at, looking at your blog and this is the question that they asked uh, without any question. Uh, yeah, I, will choose, I won't tell you all the top ones, but let me just suggest that two to one or maybe three to one, people come to my blog getting help with this issue more than any other issue. Uh, and I would say Fifty Shades is when it started in terms of the direct correlation, uh, but it maybe COVID didn't help any or did help or however you would say that. Um, but a lot of people are coming and they're asking questions. I would say the majority of Christians go to the internet uh, for help related to this issue more so than uh, coming to us or to the pastor. Biblical counselor must not just understand this issue biblically, but must be able to address these issues with the passion and clarity of the scriptures and at some level without uh, feeling or sensing over embarrassment. It's something that we need to be uh, clear and concise and specific about. And many of the strengths and weaknesses of a typical marriage are magnified in marital intimacy, no doubt. Wherever the, because intimacy is part of overall communication between a husband and a wife. And so where there's problems, it's going to be drug into uh, this issue as well. And the final element for introduction, sexual problems in marriage are never alone. They're linked uh, to every other issue in marriage because marriage is between two people. It's not segregated into problems. Now, I know it's a lot of bullet points. We read through them quickly, just really to introduce uh, the broader topic. Let me have a word of prayer. I haven't been with you today, so let me have a word of prayer to get us rolling. Lord, we pray you'll be honored now as we think through this very key issue uh, in our marriage counseling, our pre-marriage counseling, uh, in our personal lives for many in the room uh, as it relates to Ourselves, children, grandchildren, in all those various areas. Uh, We'll pray that you'll be honored in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is the purpose of sex? I'm going to suggest the ultimate purpose of sex is the glory of God. Many people don't use that terminology and connect it to intimacy. That is not something you hear. There aren't many messages uh, where on a Sunday morning, this is the topic of discussion of, from a pastor to his congregation. Uh, however, there is nothing less glorifying to, right? So sex doesn't rank in second or third or fourth place as it relates to any of the other things that would glorify God, right? So reading your Bible, discipleship, everything else that you would say, oh, these things glorify God, sex ranks equal with all of those things. Right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and this is one of a million things that fit inside whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. I want to specifically suggest in 1 Corinthians 6, in verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore what? 
glorify God. And in this context, this is key. It says in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You say, where does this verse fit? It fits in a larger conversation in the verses above it and certainly in the verses below it that all relate to marital sex that is for the glory of God. Right. So body in verse 20 of first Corinthians six uh, is euphemistically uh, referring to marital intimacy. And so in that particular passage, it's very clear that we are to enjoy this part of our lives as every other part of our life to or for the glory of God. Well, what are the subordinate purposes? I want to suggest there are four of those. The first is the celebration of one flesh. When God gives a man to a wife and gives a wife to a man, when that particular union, God makes them one flesh. And sex is the way that celebrates uh, in a physical way what God is doing in this particular couple, as well as a subordinate purpose would be procreation. Right, the, we'll talk more about this in a minute, but in the creation mandate, right, we are told to have children and that, of course, that process is associated directly with marital sex, as well as an expression of love. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Again, the, this Genesis text is mentioned again and it relates to uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife And it's part of the love that they share together. This particular part of it is underneath the part where it's talking about a man is to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And then the fourth one is pleasure. And I would say this is where the Bible speaks the most. The Bible has many more verses on pleasure than it does on having babies or celebrating being one flesh or just general an expression of love. And so I don't think we want to minimize that as God grants us this as one of his common graces, right? Marriage is temporal. Marriage is for uh, our time on earth, right? When we look forward to eternity, man and wife will not be connected in marriage. So as marriage reflects one of God's common graces for us in relationship today, Ecclesiastes 9 would say, enjoy the wife of your youth. So also is marital intimacy one of those common graces that we have on this side of eternity. Right? And so at that point God grants us this grace as part of our enjoyment or as part of the pleasure uh, of life. And there's again any number of texts that we can move to. Let me suggest some direct benefits. Regular Marital intimacy provides three specific direct benefits for every couple. So if we flip that to neglect this area of life is to minimize the benefits that God has attached to this particular part of life. Here's the first one. It's encouragement. When a husband and a wife participate regularly in marital intimacy, it provides both of them, or should provide, encouragement to the husband and encouragement to the wife. And depending on the marriage, it may be more for one than the other, but there's no question that regular sexual 
uh, intimacy, marital intimacy provides that kind of encouragement. I think satisfaction. Why? Because inside of, and we'll talk about 1 Corinthians 7s in a bit, but inside of intimacy, you have a lot of things that come together. All of those purposes that we were just talking about, they come together at this particular moment in a, a husband and wife's relationship. Plus, you have the your five senses, all of those things impact it, as well as what you know about Jesus Christ, the gospel, all of those things as well come together in this particular moment. I'm getting a ring up here, I think. And so, in that moment of intimacy, you have a contribution from your body, so there's a physical contribution, you have a contribution from your uh, emotions, from the, the greater sense of feeling and affections, and then you have a contribution from what you know about the gospel. Right? The fact that you're one flesh only made possible by the, in terms of one flesh and not enemies, that's only possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? The cross makes the relationship a husband and a wife can have together. It makes it what it is. So in that instance of, of intercourse or as a husband and wife practices this intimacy together, it provides incredible satisfaction. No, I'm going to suggest no different than a worship service. No different than any time you're with another brother or sister in Christ where the gospel and Christ bring a connection and then you add all of those other elements as well. It brings great satisfaction. That's much different than what the world system teaches. Right, The world system teaches satisfaction not because of the gospel and the opportunity to love as Christ. The world system teaches satisfaction because what? Of what I get. Right, So it's completely opposite. In premarital, I often have couples uh, who have been active at other times uh, and sinfully active prior to marriage uh, sexually and they say, so what about this past and what are we supposed to do with the past? And I try to explain to them, if they understand marital intimacy in light of what the Bible teaches and understand it in light of the gospel, what happens in marriage, there's no comparison to what happened prior to marriage when you weren't living for Jesus and you didn't have Christ as the focus of your marriage. Right? Because we're, on, we're talking about a, a different... Right? One thing's minor leagues, the other one's major leagues. You don't even... There's no comparison hardly... Uh, between the two components. Here's the third one. That is protection. It protects, it helps protect. It's not the only thing that protects, but certainly it does help protect a marriage relationship as we'll talk about momentarily uh, again in that 1 Corinthians passage. Sex in marriage is God's idea and it should be celebrated as such. I have a a particular counselee that that was two pardon me two things grew up in a purity culture uh, in a, a particular church that that taught a particular way related to sex and uh, was sinned against 
uh, by family members uh, in the process of growing up. So that it got to the spot uh, that if I used the word in their pre-marriage, in premarital counseling, if I used the word sex, intimacy, there's a number of terms. If I would even mention those words, uh, I could see that it would bring uh, visible agitation uh, to this person. Not agitation that she was angry, but agitation from the sense of she would get completely tense. And in fact, the only way she would even in counseling refer uh, to sex is she would use the word yucky stuff. And it was a very sad to know that I have this girl getting ready to go into marriage. And so we had to think through this at length. And I met with her husband at length uh, separately uh, to help him think through how best do you serve your wife who's been sinned against in the past and how do we work through that. And, and for God's glory, we worked through it just fine. But the fact is, if you would have said to this girl, it's God's idea and should be celebrated as that, uh, she had no way to even hear that. And certainly there are people uh, and many in churches uh, who, especially at the point, if they've grown up in a culture where it's no, no, it's bad, 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 bad. And somehow they're referring to the timing and doing and participating in sex outside of God's plan. That gets lost and children are hearing sex is bad, 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 bad. And then I'm supposed to get married and now that whole thing flips. That can create uh, quite a conundrum in the heart. It's more girls than guys, but in the heart of a young couple, that can really create difficulties. Uh, one of the things I offer whenever I do premarital counseling, I offer them the opportunity, hey, does it matter when you're always welcome to call me? Uh, you, you would be probably surprised, some of you would be, uh, how many calls I get uh, on honeymoons. And a young man is either talking to me privately away from his wife or it'll be on speakerphone and I'm talking to the husband and wife at the same time and they're just saying, can you help us? And yes, of course I can help you. Um, And I tell them before they leave, I say, if you call me, no one will ever know you've ever called me. And you can talk about whatever you want. Um, And it surprised me. Right when they started taking me up on it, I was uh, initially surprised. But I've gotten way past that. So we, those are fun conversations. So, but usually I walk around in my, if I'm at home, I'm outside taking that phone call, not inside. All right, letter A. Sex is part of of the creation mandate. We mentioned that just a moment ago. Right in Genesis, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, which blessed here means he gave them everything necessary uh, to do what they're called to do. He blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Again, we said procreation is one of multiple reasons uh, to... Uh, purposes, I should say, for the, for marital intimacy. Adam recognized Eve, Eve as his suitable helper. He was so pumped when he saw Eve. Right? He had been observing. He had been doing exactly what God had told him to do. And he's observing these animals. He's giving them their names. 
And somewhere, evidently, according to Genesis, it hits him. It's amazing that every one of these males have a female counterpart, right? He picks up on that and he realizes, I don't have that kind of counterpart. Now, it doesn't make him lonely. I would not argue that. But he does make the observation. They have something I don't have. Well, God then, as you know, gives, puts, lets him go to sleep. And in the process of him sleeping, he, God takes a rib and he creates Eve. And when he introduces Eve to Adam, uh, right, it's like this. It's emphatic in the Hebrew. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is my what? My suitable helper. My helper, the opposite of, literally. Right? And so Adam immediately recognized this is exactly what I've been seeing. When God brought these animals to me, they were in pairs. And for the, for the uh, husband and wife, God created the other spouse as the opposite of, the suitable companion right the helper in genesis 2:18 it says it's not good that man should be alone i will make him a helper comparable in verse 20 it says but adam there was not found a helper comparable to him so god fixes that and adam is quite excited about it right this is she right ish is is the word for man in genesis and when he saw Eve, he said, Isha, that is gir, the girl, right? And it's a very similar Hebrew word, uh, but he added a little extra zip to the end of it <laughs> because he was happy to meet her. Just a marriage counseling tip. I find it's interesting, right? When a husband is very, very satisfied in, in marriage, he sounds a lot like Adam. Right. This is my girl. But then when he's not, he sounds a lot like Adam. Look at the girl that you gave me. Right. This is the it is amazing how that happens. We men can be so biblical. Right. So. So Adam is very satisfied. He sees her as absolutely uh, his opposite and enjoys it. Sex is the physical sign of the marriage covenant of becoming one flesh. The physical sign, verses 22-24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now just one note. I highly recommend, for premarital counseling, I highly recommend uh, uh, Catching Foxes uh, as a, a general book Excellent for pre-marriage counseling. Uh, it's a workbook. It's written by John Henderson. It's in its second edition. I think it's out by PNR. Uh, excellent resource. But in his book, and I said, I've said this to John, so I'm not telling you something I haven't told him. I said to John that there is a statement that says that sex uh, is what consummates a marriage. That is a Catholic theology, and I, I don't think there's biblical support of that. Right? What, cons- what makes a marriage is a covenant between God and the couple. And so outside of that one sentence, I would highly recommend uh, John Henderson's book. And he handles these issues very, very well. Uh, and this is one of those issues in his chapter. I think this is chapter 10. 
So it's the physical sign of the marriage covenant. Letter D. The one flesh relationship in marriage reflects the relationship between the selfless love of Christ and his relationship to the church. Right? What a beautiful picture we find in Ephesians when it describes uh, the marriage couple and it goes back to Genesis and Paul pulls that verse in and then he expresses the fact that this love between a husband and a wife and the union and as the husband is followed by the wife and submits to him and as the husband chooses to love the wife, those things reflect the church. It's a beautiful picture in the scripture which includes this particular aspect. Similar to Adam and Eve, all marriages should enjoy vibrant, God-honoring sexual intimacy. Right? It's not, it should be for every person. I think just as God made Eve for Adam, every wife is made for her husband in a similar way in God's sovereignty. And every couple should enjoy this aspect of life as much as any other. Notice what Proverbs says. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Right. So here breasts relates to not just simply a physical part, but it's euphemistically speaking about the entire whole. Right. So it's the part for the whole. It's relating to marital intimacy. And what's it say? Let that satisfy you at all times. Well, we're going to get back to this later in our talk, but satisfaction is a key component to marital intimacy, right? It's something that we want to pay attention to and note, and it says you should be enraptured with her love, right? It is uh, no different uh, than, and if you've, uh, let me use this illustration. My favorite meal ever is prime rib. Beautiful, beautiful prime rib. With a baked sweet potato loaded with sugar, brown sugar and cinnamon and asparagus, fried asparagus. That is my favorite meal ever. And if my wife gives me that meal and sometimes she makes it or we go out and get it. There's a steakhouse that just does a great job with it locally. And then they come around with this tray and they have all these desserts on the tray. And they say, would you like a dessert? And I say, no way. I can't eat another. If I get eat another bite, I am so full and so satisfied. It would just make me sick. Right? I am satisfied and this is satisfying. Right? So I think there's a couple of things we could say about this. And I talk about it in premarital counseling. One... That's how satisfied a husband and a wife should be with the marital relationship. Talking about specifically intimacy. Such that not only is it that satisfying, I've had my favorite and I'm full. But when something else is offered, you would say, no, that just makes me sick to think about it. Why? Because I've enjoyed this. This has filled me. This And that's where I would say it'd be enraptured with her love. This is enough. I don't need something else. I don't need something cheap. I don't need something even expensive, whatever that would look like, because God has given me this and I'm satisfied. 
Right? So I think that's an important uh, concept. In Hebrews th- uh, 13, it says marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. So it is a major part in its place of every marriage. As such, it's reserved only for marriage and it is holy and pure. Again, some of your counselees are going to have to really wrestle with the idea that it's holy and pure for various reasons in their backgrounds. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4. It relates to the fact that it's only for marriage, right? It should be reserved in holiness. Again, Hebrews just says that it's undefiled. Here it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The word immorality here is our word porneia, which would relate to anything outside of uh, sex as God's ordained it in a marriage itself. Right? And we should abstain from all of those things. Why? Because we are not controlled by our lust like unbelievers. And so since we're not controlled by our lust, we shouldn't defraud our brother or our sister in this way. Notice verse 7 then. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. And where? Specifically in the sexual relationship. So sex is God's idea and it should be celebrated as such. Here's number three. Sex is important, but it's not the most important. Sex is important, but it's not the most important in marriage. You say, why would we say it's important? Well, notice what verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 7 says. Now concerning the things of which you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual morality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And then that's, of course, in a larger uh, context talking about sex. It is important, but it is not the most important part of marriage. You might have a hard time convincing that to a young guy that is ready to get married or is dreaming about getting married or hopes one day to get married. Uh, but it really isn't the most important. Some of you, uh, my granddad and grandma were married 63 years. Right? When you look at someone who's been married that long, it really helps you put those things in perspective. Right? We're, I'm working with a couple that are in their 80s. Uh, and this particular couple, when you talk with them, it's it certainly, again, puts it in the broader picture, uh, no doubt. Sexual immorality is, though, a real concern for all pe- people in Adam. However, Paul identified the importance of a spouse to help protect the marriage's integrity. No question, Paul understands, and God understands, right? Because Paul's just communicating God's plan. God understood that there is something special about this relationship that a husband and a wife can have together. And again, I want to pull those various elements together. There is a spiritual component for the couple that's in Christ, the couple who understands the gospel, the couple who understands Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. And what did it take from Jesus on the cross to produce the communion that they have together? So that couple that understands Christ and the gospel and that couple who is doing their best to glorify God in their marriage. So they're striving in a normal way to glorify God. And that couple who also enjoys all the pleasures 
of their uh, empirical sense, as we talked about yesterday. So when you have all the empirical pleasure and you have the general striving to honor the Lord and then the understanding of the gospel, all of those things together uh, help protect a husband and help protect a wife. Again, as someone who is completely satisfied. Sex is not the primary focus of marriage. In fact, all other issues in marriage related to oneness, unity, companionship, and commitment impact the sexual relationship. So it has to be kept in perspective. It's one of the things I tell guys when when I'm doing their premarital counseling, I say, listen, this is the, the, a session I have with the guys alone. So I'll give you girls my secret. Right? I say to those guys, you have been dating this young lady, you have been engaged to this young lady, and you have enjoyed her, even as a friend before that, and none of those things were sexual. You've enjoyed her eyes, you've enjoyed her laugh, you've enjoyed the conversations, you've enjoyed all kinds of things about marriage. Well, now in about a week, you're going to get married, and on that marriage day, you can't let sex become greater than what it actually is, because you have an entire relationship, and now sex becomes a portion of that relationship. But for a lot of immature guys... This newfound pleasure and freedom, just like the newest video game, can become greater than what it's supposed to be. And so an immature guy then spends more time and energy and effort and sometimes manipulates so that he's enjoying himself in the pleasures of sex rather than understand it's just part of marriage. Right? So I try to help him uh, keep it in the perspective that it should have in their marriage. It's marriage is not first and foremost a sexual union. I think you see that with the woman at the well and Jesus and John. He said, you've had this many husbands and the one you're currently living with isn't your husband. Right? Just because there's intercourse doesn't make a marriage and doesn't mean there should be a marriage necessarily. So the purpose of sex, I love this statement. The purpose of sex is to serve the marriage, not marriage to serve the desire for sex. As such, sex is a blessing from God for married couples. Right? We don't want to formally or functionally ever teach or even somehow imply that marriage helps get you your desire for sex. Right? Because if someone has an inordinate desire for sex before marriage... Marriage will not satisfy that desire. Right? If you have, and it with guys more than girls, but if you have a guy that's struggling with pornography and he's struggling with lust in general and, and various other sins, which we'll talk about some of those in a minute, if you have a guy that's struggling in all those areas, do not think that getting married is going to fix that struggle. Because no matter who the wife is and no matter how generous she is, Marriage does not fix a heart that is lust-filled. It's going to be marriage plus those other things. right? So you can't imply in your counseling and you can't suggest, well, it's better to marry than burn, so we better get you married. 
Now let's let's put that stupid fire out. Right? Let's deal with the real issue. They may need to get married. That's a separate issue. Let's deal with this first issue, which is what kind of heart are you bringing into your marriage? Because if you're struggling with mar- if you're struggling with premarital sex, I've just recently I sat with a couple. I do a lot of premarital sex. Or pre- pre- no, I don't do premarital <laughs> sex. But let me change that. My wife would not appreciate that. Uh, I do a lot of premarital counseling, and so in my premarital counseling, um, I recently was talking to a couple, and in the first session, I always ask, "So tell me what's going on." Uh, specifically in your sexual relationship. And they know. uh, I have the reputation that I'm going to talk about it and ask about it. And if they give me a broad answer, I'm going to get more specific until I finally get where are we at. I'm watching their uh, halo data. Uh, I can usually pick up if there's something they're not saying. And so we'll, we'll persevere until we get the answer. So this couple recently said, oh boy, we've been, we've kind of been messing up. Oh, wait a minute. I've gone all the way through my Bible and I don't have even a category for messing up. So what What are you exactly... Right, there's a lot of ways you can make a mess in your relationship. But what do you mean you're messing up? So we finally get the answer. Well, we're having premarital intercourse. Ah. Well, let's just talk about that for a minute. I look at the young lady and I say, do you realize that right now the way he's living means that you can't even trust him if you were to get married to him? Because he doesn't love God or you enough to protect you before you get married. Why do you think he would love God and you enough after you get married to protect you once you're... Now that makes people uncomfortable. It makes the guy uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. But I think somebody has to love him enough to say, this dude's just following his lust. And I say to her, we've got about 13 weeks, maybe 15 or so before you get married. And if we can't get this fixed in the next 15 weeks, I'm going to suggest to you, you shouldn't marry him. Because this problem will go with you. And then I open to specific verses and I say, do you understand? First, that's being one of them. Do you understand that what you're doing does not honor the Lord and it demonstrates you love? I look right at the guy in his eye. You love you and you're using her to get what you want. Don't tell me you love her because love of her is selfless. And you have to love Jesus more than you love your own pleasure. It's a hard conversation, but it's one that has to be had. And I want her to know that if she gets married, I don't want her to come back and say, well, Pastor Kevin, you never did tell me. No, sweetheart, I did tell you. Right? And they may lie to me, but even if they lie, we'll eventually get there. We just hope it's before they get married. So understand, the purpose of sex is not to serve the marriage. Pardon me, is to serve the marriage. It's not the marriage to serve sex and to serve a desire that's not handled. All right, so what is the focus? The focus is giving and not receiving. Well, this is important. Uh, friends, the majority of people you ever do premarital for, unless they've been in a very, very good church or have parents who are very unusual, they will have never heard that the purpose is giving and not receiving. 
The Christian sense of love has been flipped when it comes to sex. Right? So you can read books and you can hear pastors pontificate about agape, agape, and it's giving and it's selfless and all this stuff. And then they start talking about marriage and it's like they forget that they said anything about agape. But if agape love is giving and selfless in every other category of life, then it must be that in the category of sex as well. Right? We don't change purposes. Sex is never about getting. It's always about giving. Right? And the goal is to give satisfaction to the spouse. Let the husband render to his wife the affection. That's called giving. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Husband and wife are equally required to give, to seek to give. The proper motivation for sex is the spouse's satisfaction, not personal satisfaction. Or in other words, it's being other-focused, not self-focused. Right? The goal is not to just be pleased. The goal is to serve. This is no different than anything else in the Bible. The first great commandment is to love God supremely. The second great commandment is to love your neighbor sincerely. That does not change when we're talking about marital intimacy. Notice the same command in this text that is to satisfy is given to both the husband and the wife. And we would say, Dr. Bob always added, and the same grace to fulfill that command as well. Right? God wants the husband to satisfy his wife. He wants the wife to satisfy the husband. And he provides grace for that along the way. God created the, both the husband and the wife with equal ability to satisfy each other. This means both husband and wife are to participate wholeheartedly and passionately. And to not do so is sin. Right? I've talked to couples where... Uh, uh, and it happens more than you think in terms of wife and husband versus husband and wife. But when one of the spouses come in and says, you know what, this is something that I desire more of and I think is an area of our marriage where we're not honoring the Lord. Usually it has a self-interest in it, of course. And I talk to the spouse and the spouse just says, ah, I'm just not interested in that. Well, there's a lot of things in life we're not interested in sometimes. But that doesn't mean our lack of interest can can give us the ability or should give us the ability to sin against our spouse. Right? So we want to carefully satisfy the other person wholeheartedly and passionately. Part of glorifying God with your body includes your desire to satisfy your spouse. That's what partially brings God glory. So in reality, sex is a physical expression of love. Therefore, sex, like love, should always be selfless and giving in nature. Anything you would say about 1 Corinthians 13 love should appropriately be applied in the sexual relationship as well. Right? We cannot divorce that. Right? If you read some of the most modern, if you read some of the modern books, both about sex, if you want just an individual book, or about love and marriage, uh, modern and some not so modern, right? Even the love languages. The underflowing cur- 
current of speaking your spouse's love language is what? So they'll be happy. And if they're happy, then what's going to happen? Then you're going to receive. Right? The undercurrent. Go to chapter 2 and you'll see it. The undercurrent of even learning this love language business is so that it comes back and benefits you. Right? It's just part of... uh, it's part of humanism. It's part of that third force psychology that we talked about yesterday. Right? So we have to be very careful that we understand selfless and giving is what is, is what important. I remember one guy, uh, he, he came to me after his honeymoon, honeymoon, probably a week or so, and, and everybody was leaving church this particular day, and I could see he was just kind of hanging out and, and kind of blushed, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, he's wanting to talk to me. So, uh, so I walked away from everybody else and said, hey, what's going on? And we started talking, and and he said, Pastor, I heard you, and I've I've read the verses, but I don't understand how it's possible to be focused on selfless and giving. And I thought, what a sweet honesty uh, of this young guy, and he's very concerned. Uh, and so I said, well. Let's talk about it. And we did. I won't give you all that advice this moment. But just a sweet spirit because he understood this is hard. Uh, But certainly the standard. What does that mean? That means pornography, self-masturbation, homosexuality, and other self-sins. Sexual sins, pardon me. Those are all opposed by this. right? So we have to be aware that the Bible is in opposition to all of those things because it goes in... It does not fit selflessness and giving. All right, number five. Sex and marriage should be regular and continuous. Verse five says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and coming together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So... The issue in the text is what? Not to deprive the other person. Notice there are two things to see here. First, your personal desire is not the focus. You can say, well, I just don't, whatever. However you want to finish that statement. But when it comes to this this particular text, that's not the primary focus of this text is your personal desire. In fact, in this text, deprivation is sinful. So then, at times, we know that there's not sex every day in marriage. So then, when should you refrain? Well, there are five biblical guidelines here for refraining. The first one is mutual consent. It says, except with consent. It says, one another with consent. In other words... A decision to have or not have sex in marriage is not unilateral. One of the two spouses do not get to make that decision alone. It's a decision you make together. I think that would radically change a lot of marriages. Just that one sense of it. right? It's something you decide together. Again, you say, why would you say that? Because the text says that. Except with consent. So it's together. What? For a specific period of time. Predetermined and prearranged. 
Here he says that you may give yourself, well, pardon me, for a time. So that's a limited time. And so it's something specific. Again, we could nuance this for ages. But So a husband and wife, a wife may say, or a husband may say, whichever one, how about not tonight, but rather in the morning. What is that? That's an offer of not this moment. The other spouse can say, that's fine. That's mutual consent. But it's a predetermined time. So in the morning, that will be different. Right? So this conversation's already been had tonight as it relates to in the morning. There needs to be a specific goal. Now, in this text, it says to give yourselves to fasting and prayer. If you'll note in your notes there, it says wisdom should be used in relationship to sickness, surgery, pregnancy, travel, emergencies, all of those things. There's a lot of reasons besides just fasting and prayer that a couple may say not tonight or not this moment. And so you need to be aware of those. Again, I spend a lot of time here in my relate in my conversation with the guy by himself. I spend a lot of time here helping him think through these. I've had couples come to me, wives come to me and crying, saying, this is what my husband wants. This is what my husband is demanding. And as a pastor, I take that husband aside and say, okay, we need to have a good conversation. Because you need wisdom and you need to demonstrate wisdom and love and care. Uh, all the other parts of love as it relates to this issue. So you want to be wise there. Number four, caution should be exercised before abstaining so as to not give Satan an area to tempt either spouse. Right? Because it says that and come together again so Satan doesn't tempt you. So you want to be wise with your choices. And then number five, refraining should be terminated then with sexual intimacy. So those are five biblical guidelines. Again, there's a lot more we could say here. Uh, and I do in premarital counseling. How often should a husband and wife have sex then? Right? That's the question. Three answers. Enough to keep each other satisfied. Generosity is important. Satisfaction is the key. If a husband said, right, a better question to ask, uh, let me give me one second and I'll ask, I'll say that again. What's another one? Enough to avoid temptation. That's a conversation that a husband and wife needs to have. And then the third thing, Dr. Bob always said it this way, the question is not when shall we have sex or shall we have sex or when are you going to want sex, but when shall we not have sex? Right? I think that's a great way to put that. So that the question in most couples, the predetermined answer is no, unless we decide in this conversation, it's yes. That needs to flip. The predetermined answer is yes, unless we decide for a wisdom reason, the answer should be no. I had a couple. I've, I did their marriage probably six years ago. They're premarital, maybe closer to 10. It's been a while. Uh, and they... Within the last month or two, they called me and said, Hey, Pastor, and they've not been in our church for a long time. They live on somewhere else in the country. They said, Can we talk to you about something? I said, Sure. What's up? And they said, We're both here. Okay, I could tell I was on speakerphone. And they said, You know, remember premarital when you told us that the question isn't whether we should have sex, or but the question should be when shall we not have. Uh, we have always followed that principle and for, and I don't know how many years, that's just always been our principle. So we've never had a reason not to have sex, but we're just tired. And 
is there anything in the Bible that says we can't take a break? I said, oh, heavens. I've never had this question in my life in counseling. Uh, No, you can take a break. You can put that down. Write it in the margin of your Bible. Pastor said we get a break. So, yeah. All right, some possible problems in in marital intimacy. The first question is, well, what if my spouse is not pleased? Right, if your spouse is not pleased, that's a problem. Why? Because the goal is satisfaction, giving satisfaction to the other person. So there's a couple, four things we'll mention. First, open, humble communication is essential. Just talk about it. Don't let it be the secret that never gets mentioned. Don't let it be something that just stays under the surface or you're going to have anger, bitter, angry, bitter people. Then consider your communication in general. By that, I mean the communication all across marriage. Right. So part of what may be driving dissatisfaction in sex is actually a holdover for from some other areas of marriage. So let's put it in the broader context of marriage. Number three, I think this is important. Do not make climax the goal for either person. Right? There may be a way to satisfy the spouse without that. And if there is a way, then if the spouse is satisfied, then you can be satisfied. You would say, well, what would make a man satisfied if a wife says, I am so satisfied? What will allow him then to be satisfied? Well, the fact that his wife is. Right? If his goal before the Lord is to satisfy his wife and his goal is giving and not getting, and she says, yes, I'm satisfied, then a husband ought to be able to lay down and say, Lord, thank you for giving me a satisfied wife. I can lay here and rejoice in your grace and rejoice in your plan. Right? You, the husband doesn't have to go to bed uh, frustrated, angry, or anything else. No, he should be able to go to bed very satisfied that he's done what God's called him to do. So the climax is not the goal. See, sex is part of God's grace. And an extension of the love of Christ in your marriage. So that's one. So look at the next question. Well, what if we have different levels of desire? I would say that potentially proves you're human. Most couples have different levels of desire. Number one, your personal desire, what? That's not the standard to begin with. So you got to make sure you understand what the standard is. The standard is your spouse's satisfaction, not your own. The goal is to see sex as part of the overall relationship that's filled with selfless love toward the spouse and a desire to please God as one flesh. Withholding sex is sin if it's done outside those five biblical guidelines. So be very clear. It's always a sin unless you follow verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 7. Never, ever, ever bargain or reward your spouse with sex. That's a sin also. I don't reward my spouse with giving my offering. You know, if you do these six things, we're going to give our offering this Sunday. No, we don't do that. Or we don't do that in any other area. Or we shouldn't. Why? If it's something that we're required to do according to the Lord, we're doing it to honor Him, not to manipulate. Now, could you... Teasingly say, you know what, sweetheart? This is a lady. The most sexist, sexiest thing in the world is dishpan hands. 
and I am going to go in here and take a shower. And if you show up in our bedroom in a little while with dishpan hands, I am going to enjoy that. And I bet you will too. That's not bargaining, right? That's, that's just fun. So understand, I'm not saying don't have fun. I'm saying that there's, there is a difference. And you understand that. It's not a chip on the table. Right? So you want to be aware of that. Use the differences in desire to do careful and diligent self-counsel. And I've given you a lot of questions here related to self-counsel. We won't read those now. You can read those here in a bit. So here's our third question. Well, what if I am not pleased? Let me just suggest three things. First, consider the first two points that we've talked about on this page. Number two, lovingly communicate with your spouse regarding this issue. Right? Apply those texts in Ephesians in your communication. And then number three, realize that regardless of your pleasure level, there's never an excuse to sin. Maybe put a star by that if that's ever been an issue. But regardless of your pleasure level, there's never an excuse to sin. Some men need to hear that and hear it very clearly. Doesn't matter if you're happy or not, you still can't go outside of God's divine plan without it being a sin. Okay, so here's some notes for counselors. I'm just going to work through these quickly. Remember, this is a common subject. Because of that, you have to learn to be conversant. You need to know appropriate terminology. You need to know the passages. You need to be able to discuss it. That's This, this is common, common, common. So you have to be able to work through that in a way where your counselee is going to be helped. And you're not going to lead them down a road to potentially sin yourself. Make sure you always employ appropriate sobriety when discussing this issue. Right? We have to be mature. Likewise, be careful with slang or other inappropriate ways of discussing sex. Right? For guys, if you can read it on the bathroom wall, you probably shouldn't be talking that way in your counseling session. Right? Use appropriate terminology. There's, talk about it just like a medical doctor would talk about it. Right? You don't have to, uh, not you don't have to, you should never be using, in my opinion, you should never use terminology that the world has perverted or twisted so that your counselee doesn't understand, your counselee loses what you're saying in the terminology you're using to say it. Right? So I would say you want to be very careful with the terms you use. Um, what? Pay attention to your own counsel. Right? The question is, for the counselor, where have you possibly adopted the world's model of considering sex? Do you think about sex with the right motive? Do you think about it as a need or as a blessing? Right? There isn't anything in the Bible that says sex is a need. Right? So any book or anybody that said, well, it's a need, either for a husband or a need for whatever, that's just simply not actually in a text. It's a blessing that God's granted to marriages, but we handle it like every other blessing in marriage. Don't forget to connect the marital intimacy with the power of the gospel, being in Christ and appropriate biblical love. Again, I would say it's just as much worship as anything else you do as a Christian. Remember that many of the counselees may be driven more by feelings than by truth. So be patient and ready to walk with your counselee as he or she tries to learn biblical principles and apply them. Always pay special attention to your own heart. 
This is so important. So, so, so important. Be aware of temptations to be drawn away by your own lust and enticed, even as you talk with someone. Stay accountable with your own spouse. Never counsel the opposite sex alone. Right? You need to pay very close attention here and watch that. So some possible homework assignments, they're there for you. We've hit our times up. We're in, t- we're in overtime here. So just notice those homework assignments. All right, one last thing in terms of selected resources. Uh, the book, Biblical Principles of Sex by Dr. Bob, it is out of print. There may be some here if they bought extras. But if not, it's out of print. And PNR, I'm writing a new book that PNR is going to pick up to replace that particular book. Dr. Bob and I were co-writing it, but he died in the last year. So now I'm going to finish it myself. Uh, so that that book is really not available. Uh, in in terms of the the... The medical, the best book in terms of the, uh, in the weeds about physiology and sex, I would say is Intended for Pleasure by Ed and Gay Wheat. That's a great book. Uh, I give one of those to every couple. Um, those are the two that I think I would suggest out of that list the most. And then I would say there's probably 28 or so blogs or more on kevincarson.com forward slash sex that works you through most of these principles in a lot of detail. And so when I have a premarital couple, I just have them go and read all of those blogs. And so that's about a chapter and a half probably of a typical book. There's about a thousand words per blog there. Um, And... And then we come back and we talk about it. And there's just a lot of good material there that's going to get you a long way in counseling. So that would be another place. Uh, And in fact, today I added uh, Pastor Terry here, Pastor Terry Enns. He wrote a great article this week uh, on gratitude as it relates to sexual intimacy. It's fantastic. I put that on the blog with his permission today as well. So there's a lot of good stuff there. All right, Lord, I pray that you would help us to serve people well here as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.